0: You found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. So we're uh, turning in our Bibles to Hosea. Um, And we're in the middle of this series called Amazing Love And we're going to be starting today in uh, Hosea chapter 9 And we were halfway through that last week or a little bit more, I think Um, So that's where we are, amazing, amazing love We're going to dive into a deep pool of Hosea today And I'm hoping that we'll be able to come back up at the end of it or air and be refreshed um, have you seen our headlines lately I mean I don't know if you read the newspaper or where you get your news from but it just seems like there's a lot of bad news in our headlines um, you know of course the coronavirus is you know becoming a lot of you know a fearful thing a lot of worry about that and Showing up in more countries and more people dying from that, and, and then uh, last week the stock market lost 12.5% of its value because of the coronavirus. So who knows what Monday is going to look like, you know? And of course this is a presidential election year, so that's just bad news right there. Um, <laughs> maybe I guess I don't know. Uh, missiles are flying again in the Middle East with Israel and the Palestinians. There's a government study that said that 42% of Americans are now obese. So, you know, that's going up. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, Indianapolis, did you know this? Indianapolis is currently the 19th most dangerous city to live in in the country based on gun violence. But it is trending good for the first time in four years. At the end of this month, 200 of our neighbors are going to lose their jobs because another company is, is closing down. So there's a lot of bad news uh, in our world today. But you know what? When you've gotten in on amazing love, there's a lot of hope that you can find no matter what your headlines read uh, today. And so I have a a video to show you uh, to kind of tell you what I'm talking about. So let's see what this is all about. When you know the uh, Almighty God and you've gotten in on a relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ... There's a lot of hope that we, can, that we can grab onto, no matter what our headlines read. Now, here in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10 is where we're going to start. We're going to go all the way through verse 15. It's full of a lot of bad news, um, but because of God's amazing love and that he's showered on us, we can find hope in all the gloom and doom. So we're going to pray right now and ask God to help us open our hearts up to uh, stir faith in us and hope. Uh, from what we're going to read about Israel's misery, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word today. And as I was reading it this week and wondering where you were going to go uh, with these words, um, believe in it's all your word. It's all good for us and uh, good to help us grow and know you better. And um, Lord, here we are today, um, and we're we're hungry. We're hungry to know. We we're we're curious and. Um, Even in in that, as we read these words um, from past history, there's gaps in our our knowledge and what we know about what happened. Uh, But we pray that in all of that, you would help us, help us to hear your voice, uh, help us to be encouraged, uh, help us to allow you to be the lifter of our head today. Um, As we go through this, uh, pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it is a lot today to to take in, so I broke up the readings uh, into into smaller bites, so they're not going to be on the screen, so you you might want your Bible there um, to help you go through this. I also put all the answers on the PowerPoint, so, you know, just so you know where we're headed. Um, So we're going to start there in chapter 9, verse 10. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal pure and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. So God starts here in the middle of this chapter and he hearkens back to the good old days with Israel when he first reached out to him, out to them. So he might be talking about the days of Abram, you know, and his sons back in Genesis, but probably he's talking about the days of Exodus. When he rescued them out of Egypt and he led them out into the desert. And so he says it's like he was like finding them was like finding the delight of a weary traveler who's wandering in a desert and he finds grapes in the wilderness. And so he's like... He says, or it's like the sweet delicacy of the fig tree, you know, the first fruits of a fig tree. And especially, you know, when you plant a fruit tree and you get your first fruits off of that, what a, what a joy that is to see. And that's how God was saying it was like when he found Israel, when he saw their fathers. So all things were good when things got started, but there is a but in this sentence. So the people encountered this God, Baal. And it was their first encounter of him in, in this place called Shittim, uh, where they were seduced by the Moabite women to take uh, part in the practice of this pagan idolatry. And you can read about that in Numbers 25. But in Numbers 25:3 it says, "So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. He yoked himself there." And so Hosea put it this way: They consecrated themselves. Uh, To the thing of shame. And that means that they dedicated their lives uh, to this idol. And so they became detestable like the thing that they loved. Now you can see that happening in, in our day as well. When we yoke ourselves to other things, we dedicate our lives to other things, things of this world, pleasure seeking things. And when we do that, when our lives become about that, we become like the thing we are seeking. And so if you're dedicated to partying and getting a buzz from drugs or alcohol, eventually that's what your whole life is going to be about, and addiction is in your future. If you are dedicated to money, greed will eventually consume you, and your life will be all about trying to satisfy that itch that is inside of you that you cannot satisfy with things or fun or whatever it might be. And so your life will be defined as cons- with consuming you 'll be known as a consumer uh, if it 's pornography that 's a huge problem. So if pornography is your thing and it becomes you know you 're dedicated to that thing, you begin to live two different lives, and eventually you see women as just objects to satisfy your lusts and then if you're married, no intimacy in your marriage will be there and then you'll begin to go beyond whatever device it is you're using because it's not going to satisfy you and you'll have to go find it somewhere else and things really go south then. Um, So if it's it's food that you're yoked to, you can join me and the 42% of obese people and look forward to health problems in, in your future if something isn't done there. So left to ourselves, we will yoke ourselves to things that are not God or the things of God. But there is hope for our fruit. Hope for our fruit. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so when Jesus calls us to life with him, he calls us to yoke ourselves to him. He calls us to dedicate our lives to him. And when we do that, guess what happens to us? We become like the thing we love. We become like Jesus. And so when we begin to follow in his footsteps, that means we're going to be picking up our cross and following him. And he's going to call us to love people for him at the expense of ourselves. And anytime we do that... We will be known as a life giver, not a life taker. And we will end up with a fruitful witness in our life. John 15, Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me. We can say, be yoked to me, and you will bear much fruit. So Jesus, he changes our lives from unfruitful to fruitful. Okay, verses 11 to 13, we get to hear about Um, one of the covenant curses that God is going to bring down on Israel because of their spiritual adultery. So let's read that. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. So the glory of Ephraim, remember Ephraim is Israel, was their children. It was a family-centric culture. So the bigger family you had, the more prestige, uh, the more respect that you got. And, and women who, who could not have children, they were considered cursed By God, that was the culture that they lived in. Now, the whole people is going to be barren. None of them are going to be um, uh, bearing children. And so they're going to end up with an unfruitful heritage. Now, verse 12 is hard to understand. How could a loving God take away children from their parents? Well, Hosea is kind of using this literary device here to communicate how much God is resolved to bringing these curses from the covenant. He says, he says first, no one is going to have any more children, but even if someone does, so he's saying, hypothetically speaking, if someone did have children, I would take them away from their parents. And so that's not going to happen, but hypothetically, I'm resolved that this is going to be, this is how resolved I am to make this happen. And then you get to verse 13 and it is the hardest verse in Hosea to translate from the Hebrew. Now, I didn't try to do that. Um, I have three commentaries on, on Hosea that I'm reading and studying, and all three of them said something different about this verse. So I'm like, well, if those smart guys can't get it right. I'm not sure I'm going go to. But here's, here's, the, here's the thrust of the verse. Israel was like this uh, beautiful tree in a meadow when God found them. And now they're at the end of this time, and they're going to have to lead their children out to slaughter because of the enemies coming to overtake them when God leaves them. You know, one of the curses of this covenant that they were in with God at the time was that he was not going to bless their multiplication anymore. Remember what he told, uh, told us when we created the world, be fruitful and multiply? Well, this part of this promise to Israel was if they would do what he said, if they would obey his law, he would bless them and they would have a lot of, a lot of kids. And so now he's taken that away. Um, he's, not, he's going to curse it and they're going to end up with an unfruitful heritage. But guess what Jesus does for us? He changes our lives and makes our lives to, to have a fruitful heritage. Now, this is amazing. Whether or not you have children, whether or not the children you have grow up and end up following Jesus, he gives you a fruitful heritage. Jesus does. Because what happens is when we begin to follow him, he calls us to do one main thing in our life. You know what that is? Make disciples. He calls us to make disciples. And so when you lead someone in the ways of the Lord, a special relationship happens. They learn how to follow God by your example of following God. They learn how to talk to him by your example, hearing you talk to him. They learn how to love by the way that you love them. They learn how to give, how to worship, how to serve, all of these things by watching you. Discipleship is not about just communicating facts about God and understanding the truth about Him. It's, it's involved with that, but it's a relational exchange. And so what happens is after a while, if you do that, if you begin to lead people in the ways of the Lord with your life, and you do that over and over again, you know what you end up with? A whole lot of spiritual children. And when you have spiritual children, that is a fruitful heritage. That's what Jesus does for us. Verse 14. Hosea speaks a prayer request here. Give them, O Lord. What will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Now, Hosea, he is one of God's prophets. And he has been dedicated to God. He's been yoked to God throughout his life. He's not given himself to pagan worship. He's able to see society and see God's people with the eyes of God. If he could not do that, we would not be reading his poetry in the Bible. So he prays something here that sounds kind of judgmental. Uh, but really, it's compassion. It's merciful. He hears God's judgment and his heart breaks. He just stops mid-verse. He stops and then he, he says, Lord, give them. And then he considers, what, what, should, what should we give them? If this is coming, if this suffering is coming to your people, then relieve that suffering. Give them miscarrying wounds. It's better for the kids not to be born than to have to go through what they're going to go through. It's better for parents not to see their children suffer. And so that's compassion like Jesus had when he was talking about the end times with his disciples. You know, He said to them how terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers when those, when those days come. Amazing love changes the way that we pray. It changes the way that we pray. Instead of seeing people with eyes that say, you know what, they get what they deserve. Good, good for them. They get what they deserve. Instead of seeing them like that, we see, we see them with eyes of compassion. And, and mercy comes out of our mouth. You know, Lord, spare them the suffering. Um, Lord, let them down easy. Relieve them. Give them relief. You know, Jesus said, be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful. He said, forgive as you have been forgiven. He said, love your enemies. He said, do not judge. All of these things, all of these things make our prayers fruitful in our life. And it's because of Jesus. And then, you know, we, we get things that come across our headlines and they're like bigger than us, right? Go, they go beyond our, our wisdom. We don't know how to pray. But God has given us amazing love in us. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he then begins to groan for us and prays for us. And we don't know what to pray. And we're like, we're like Hosea, Lord, give them. And we don't know what Holy Spirit picks up and starts praying for us. And so we have these fruitful prayers because of amazing love. Now, verse 15, there's more. Disturbing news there. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. So Hosea begins with another historical reference there to Gilgal, where the Lord began to hate them. So apparently what happens in Gilgal doesn't stay in Gilgal. Uh, so Israel had made this place, Gilgal, a center for pagan worship. And they built just a, it, there was just an abundance of altars there and these pillars where they did those shameful acts. Um, so that's what is going on at Gilgal. But what about this God-hating-them business? I thought this was a book about amazing love. Well, it's good to realize that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's apathy. And so God is not being apathetic about his people at all and what they've been doing. He calls out their unfruitful deeds. And he says, my love is coming to an end because he is going to depart from them and and then their enemies will just have at them. And so that's how the curses will come upon them. Well, Jesus changes our unfruitful deeds to make them fruitful in our life, from bad to good. Ephesians 2 says that God has good works for us to do that He planned for us to do a long time ago. And so as we're following His lead in our life, He's going to lead us to these good works that bless people in His name and causes them to look up and praise their Heavenly Father. That's how it goes. You know, even, even the small things, even a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name, he says it won't, won't, be, it won't be go unnoticed by heaven. Heaven's going to notice that. And so amazing love works in our life, you know, to make our deeds fruitful. You got any hope for your fruit yet? I mean, we're, we're just getting started. Chapter uh, winds up in verses 16 and 17. Ephraim is stricken, their root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. So in those verses, Hosea is kind of summarizing what he just wrote. He's repeating it. Ephraim is cursed, they'll have no more fruit, they'll be childless, God is leaving them. Because they didn't listen to him. And so they're gonna be nobody wanderers among the nations. So, apart from amazing love in our life, we're gonna identify with a lot of things that Israel's going through. And when we look back and we see how we, we lived, there won't be a lot of fruit apart from amazing love. But Jesus steps in and changes all of that. He gives us a fruitful witness, He gives us a fruitful heritage. He gives us fruitful prayers and fruitful deeds. So no matter what your life looks like today, no matter what the headlines are reading, there is hope for your fruit because of Christ. Okay, and now we're going to move on to chapter 10 here, and we're going to talk about hope for your furnace. And you can excuse my use of language there. I just, you know, worked the alliteration a little bit too hard. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The, The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Hosea begins this chapter with an image of prosperity... And calling God's people a luxuriant vine. So this growing vine, it's a healthy vine, it's, it's full of fruit. And Israel had been experiencing a time of prosperity at the time. But he says they used that fruit to build up more altars and more pillars. And so they spent some of that on, on the infrastructure. They were making their country stronger, you know, stronger cities. They were putting their uh, hope in that strength. Uh, But at the same time, they were weakening their hearts with this spiritual adultery. And so they had furnace problems. Uh, They were on fire for things that weren't of God or God himself. And so as you read this, I mean, we can identify here just a little bit, I think, with uh, verses 1 and 2. Because we're living in the most prosperous place on the planet. You know, we live in prosperity. And so most of us could look at our lives and call ourselves a luxuriant vine. That, if we're honest, spends most of our time and our money on the things of this world. So we've all got heart problems that the Lord is working on. You know, changing us little by little. And Hosea, he keeps going and he brings up three heart problems uh, that Israel had. Uh, In verse 3, there's an attitude of the heart that's all messed up. So it says, For now uh, they will say, uh, we have no king for we do not fear the lord and the king what could he do for us and so that's speaking about an authority problem there you know they're bucking god and they're bucking their leadership now, you could make a case that their leadership was bad anyway. You know, remember, they're the ones that are killing, killing themselves off really quick. And so it's corrupt and all that. So you could make a case for that. But, so we'll give them a pass on that, all right? But they said they do not fear God. So they got a heart problem. You know, when we dedicate ourselves to Jesus, we dedicate our lives to him, he does a heart change. And he begins with our attitude toward God. And what he does is he gives us a fear Of the Lord. So what does that mean? That we have a fear of the Lord. Well in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 28 and 29. There's a good description of fearing God. For a follower of Jesus. It says. Since we are receiving a kingdom. That cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. And worship God acceptably. With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Reverence. And awe. That is our. Motivating factor for following him to surrender our lives to God without receiving God's amazing love through faith in Christ. Without that, we're not going to be responsive to his leadership, we're not going to listen to his commands, we're not going to care. And so, he changes that in us, he changes the attitude of our heart. Happens first thing, you know, it happens first thing when you give your life to Christ. Now, verse 4 brings up another problem, the overflow of the heart. It says, they utter mere words. With empty oaths, they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. So Jesus, remember, he said that the, out, of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you hear stuff coming out of your mouth that you don't like, don't blame your tongue. And you've got to blame your furnace. you got a furnace problem. God's people have been lying through their teeth. They're making these promises, but they're just empty promises. And they're not being honest. So it's telling us that they're living with dishonesty in their hearts. And remember what James said. Nobody can tame a tongue. But Jesus, he can change your heart. And so the possibilities for our tongue will improve. Without Jesus, you're going to hear criticism. You're going to hear judgment. You're going to hear manipulation, profanity, coarse talk. All this stuff will be regularly coming out of your mouth in its various forms. With Jesus, with that amazing love, you might hear some of that. But over time, it's going to disappear And as he changes your heart. What comes out of your mouth is going to be something worth listening to. Something people can count on. Something people are built up by as you, you talk. So Colossians 4 verse 6 kind of points out the possibilities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Just one verse that gives us an example of when our hearts changed, what the possibilities are that's going to come out of, of our mouth. Verses 5 and 6, Hosea brings up, uh, the third problem, another heart problem. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of, of Bethaven; its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoice over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself will be, shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall put, be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. So the people here are crying out because their calf idol has been taken away from them. It's 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 going bye-bye. And the shaking, the trembling they're doing is because they're in despair that that is happening. And they're grieving over it. They're grieving that they lost this idol. So the cry of their heart is for this man-made god. And that's going to show that when it gets just taken away and given to a given as a gift uh, to the king of Assyria. That it's going to show that it has no power. And Israel is going to be ashamed. That it had all of it's hopes. In, in this lifeless dead thing. That they made with their hands. And so Jesus. When he calls us. Uh, to a life with him. He calls us to place our hope. In no other thing. No other place. No other person. Other than him. And when we hear what he says. Why should we. I mean, he is the only one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one who said that in the history of the world. He's the only one who said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." He's the only one who said that. He is the only one who said, whoever follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Only one who ever said that. He's the only one who said, if you believe in me, you will never die. Only one who has said that. Where else should we place our hope? So when when we uh, receive this amazing love, the cry of our hearts change. It changes for the things of this world to crying out for him. And you can read it in the Bible. David, as Sam told us, a man after God's own heart. He wrote a lot of poetry, and it's all in the Psalms. And he did a lot of crying out to God there. So here's just an example from Psalm 86 verses 1 to 10. He said, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble, and you will answer. No pagan god is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow down before you, O Lord. They will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. That's crying out. That's the cry of our hearts, you know, when we've received amazing love. So there's hope. Hope for our hearts. Hope for our furnace. Our attitude toward God changes. What comes out of our mouths changes, and and the cry of our heart changes. You know, without him, you know, without him, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Above all else, who can understand it? But with him, when the bad news of, of, uh, of our world, of our lives changes, when we have Christ, there's hope for our hearts. And because his amazing love, his amazing love changes our lives from the inside out. Didn't we just sing that? That's pretty cool. We didn't plan that or anything. <laughs> okay, Hosea, he keeps going here. His verse continues with, some, with the pronouncements of judgment over God's people. And so he's going to continue to paint this gloomy picture for what's going to happen to them. But for those who've received God's amazing love, it's going to give us hope for our future. Hope for our future. So start in uh, verse 7 and we'll read verses 7 and 8. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us. And to the hills, fall on us. So those verses are are beginning uh, by telling us the fate of the king of Samaria. The king of the northern kingdom of, of Israel saying he's going to perish um, helplessly like a twig on the water. So when you get to go out hiking because you the know, weather throw a twig, twig on the water and remember the Sumerian king. Um, so God proclaims that this land is going to be cleansed of all the places of iniquity which he called Avon and he says thorn and thistle were going to grow up there around their altars because they're going to be in ruins, they're going to be abandoned and so the people, they scream out in terror, have the mountains cover them, have the hills hide them from the wrath of God. And when you hear that, that's pointing us forward in the Bible uh, to a, to another place. And we go to Luke 23, and Jesus is being crucified. He's being led away to be crucified, and as, he, as he's walking with the cross on his back, there's people following him and there's women there and they're weeping and wailing in public like is the custom. And he turns to them and he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And then he prophesies about um, the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He says, the days are coming when people will say how fortunate are childless women. In those days, people will beg for mountains to fall on them and hills to bury them. And that takes us even further in the Bible, further, almost all the way to the end, to Revelation chapter 6, uh, where the seals are being broken and God's wrath is coming on the whole earth. And it says in Revelation 6:16 six, and 17, it says, And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Amazing love changes our fear of the future and it turns it in to hope because the answer to that question, who is able to survive is the church. The church will survive that. We're not destined to suffer the wrath of God. So for people who have received God's amazing love through faith in Jesus, who've dedicated our lives to Christ, who've been touched by His love, we're not living in fear, looking forward to God's wrath. We're living in hope, looking forward to the worship of God together. And you can read about that in Revelation 4 and 5. It's really amazing. Hosea chapter chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued... Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? So God brings up, uh, again, a place in history of Israel. And you can read about it in Judges 19 uh, to 21, what happened in Gibeah. Uh, You could basically uh, summarize it as saying it was Sodom and Gomorrah. But what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah was more like the PG-13. This is more like the R version. You know, in in, uh, in Judges. Judges 19.30 says, Everyone who saw it said, Such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. So it was bad, you know, what went on in Gibeah. <clears throat> so those events, they kind of took Israel down a different path. and it, And God says they continued there. And so from there, they've been running from God's judgment the whole time. And Hosea says, Isn't war against the unjust going to catch up to you? Amazing love changes the running that you do in your life. It changes the running. Instead of running away from God and the things we've done in our past, we start running toward God and life with Him in the future. The time when we are going to be singing together this mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's a worship service we're going to be a part of. If you know the Lord That's what followers of Jesus are running toward Verse 10 When I please I will discipline them And nations shall be gathered against them When they are bound up for their double Iniquity So God is sovereign over what's going on here This is all happening in his timing This judgment and punishment He's been patient with his people He's been after them He's been pursuing them He's been calling them to love him with their whole heart, but they haven't responded to his efforts, and so here come the covenant curses. If they had ears to hear what Hosea wrote in their time, they would be waiting in fearful expectation for this war to come that's going to destroy their nation, because that's what God told them would happen. They would lose everything. Amazing love in our life changes our waiting. It changes our waiting. We are not waiting anymore for our ruin we are waiting for a reunion, a reunion. When the trumpet sounds and the sky splits open and Jesus shows up with his army to come and clean up this mess, you know what happens then is the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the air and we will meet Jesus in the air and then to get, and then be with him forever after that. That is what people who have received this amazing love from God through faith in Christ, that is what we are waiting for. Not our ruin, but a reunion. You know what Jesus said, the last thing he said in the Bible, right? Behold, I am coming soon. That's what he said. Go read it. Revelation 22. Hosea 10, 11 to 13. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh And I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your foul ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. So again, we get some history as God d- uh, describes how he began with Israel. He's saying they were like this trained calf who loved to thresh. And, and he spared his neck. And so think of a calf uh, threshing grain. He's stomping on the grain um, in freedom. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't need a leash around his neck. And really it was an easy job because when you don't have a muzzle on in your calf and you're threshing grain, guess what you get to do? You get to eat your fill. You know of grain. But it didn't stay that way for Israel. It changed and the work got harder. He says Israel's going to have to plow. They're going to have to break up that fallow ground, that uncultivated ground, that hard ground. That we can see is the work of repentance in our lives when God is breaking up the ground to sow seed in our life. And so then verse 12 and 13 gives us two options for the kind of seed that we want to sow in our life. In verse 12, we can sow righteousness by seeking the Lord. Or verse 13, we can sow sin and reap injustice. So, yeah, the rewards for sowing righteousness, reaping the steadfast love of God and Him raining grace down in our lives. And in verse 13, with sowing sin, we end up eating the fruit of lives and lies and we have judgment and punishment to look forward to. So amazing love, it changes what you sow in your lives and in turn changes what you reap. Amazing love does that. Because see, we don't have any righteousness of our own to sow. We don't have anything. I mean, when we uh, when we do good deeds outside of Christ, they are for us, really. And so when that happens, God sees them as filthy rags. Um, but because of amazing love, because it's been showered on us through the cross, Jesus has given us his righteousness. And we sow that into our lives by seeking him. And so we'll receive the Uh, Reaping of that in our life that, uh, That Steadfast love and that grace of God That special grace that Flows on us So it changes everything about our future This love of God Now the big question How do you know if you received it How do you know If you've got this amazing love In your life Well you have to look at where your Trust lies Okay, so we can sort of get there by looking at uh, Hosea 13b to 15. It says, Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, therefore a tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. Shalman destroyed Betharbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. So nobody knows who Shalom is and where <laughs> Beth Arbel is. So, you know, if you don't know where that is, you're just you just joined the club. Uh, no one knows. But we go back to the top of that and we look at that. It says because you trusted in your own way and you trusted in your own strength or your own beauty or your own talent or your own goodness or whatever it is that you own because of that you're trusting in that all this punishment is coming your way amazing love changes what we put our trust in changes it first peter chapter 1 verse 21 says through christ you have come to trust in god and you have placed your faith and hope in god because he raised christ from the dead and gave him great glory amazing love changes our trust isn't um, isn't it amazing? I mean, when you go back and you look at all that and you think, isn't amazing love amazing and all that it does, all that it changes in our life, the fruit that it brings, the you know the the heart change that comes, and the future that we have, it's amazing and it's amazing that it's right here in the middle of Hosea, don't you think? I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Okay, we're going to come up from here now, from Hosea, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, before, we, uh, before we go. And you don't have to be a member of Living Streams to participate in the Lord's Supper, but you do need to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And so if you've never received this amazing love in your life, you don't have to leave without it today. We want you to know today that God really does love you with an amazing love, just like you are sitting right here today. Whatever life you've got, whatever headlines are going on, God loves you. You know that because he sent his one and only son to our world so that he lived our life, this difficult place. He lived it, but he did it differently than we do. He did it without sin. He never sinned against his heavenly father. But even after he lived that amazing life, sinful man took him, arrested him, hung him on a cross, and he died there. He died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, God took the sin of the world and He placed it on Him so that we could have forgiveness and have life with God forever. He did that when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't want anything to do with Him, when we were running away from Him. That's that's amazing love. That's the kind of love that you have been loved with. If you want to receive that love today, I invite you to come to this altar of prayer today and just come up and say, Jesus... I believe in you. I'm a sinner and I believe that you died for my sins. Forgive me. Come up here, say that from your heart. I believe you start this brand new life today. He will come into your life. He will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And you'll leave a different person. But you know what? It it gets better than that. Because three days after he died, he was put in a tomb. Or sorry, he was put in a tomb. And then three days after that, he rose from the grave. And he conquered death. And he said that anyone who believed in him would never, ever die. So when you trust Christ with your life, when you give him your life, when you yoke yourself to him, you can claim that promise that you will never die. This whole new kind of hope comes in to your life. And you will leave here looking forward to life with God instead of regretting the past. All of that will be wiped away. You will be white as snow because of the crimson blood that was shed on the cross. So if you want to do that today, I invite you to come up here, get some bread, get a cup, and just in your own words, give your life to Jesus, believer. We've got we've been given some amazing love, haven't we? Amazing love. We're gonna come up here and celebrate it together. Uh, so come and remember how you how it was given to you, and renew your hope today, because we have an amazing God who loves us very much. Let's pray. For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table, and I have passed it on to you before. And on the night when Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the message of the Lord's death, and he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Lord, here we are today, being reminded of how much you have loved us, And as we have taken in so much of your word, really overwhelmed by how amazing your love is, the the sweeping changes that happen in our life because of it, because of the presence of Christ. Lord, as we come and remember what you've done, I pray you would be with us, meet with us here, speak to our hearts, renew our hope, give faith. In Jesus' name we pray.